to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, welcome to RPC. It's so good to see you. I want to remind you that upcoming on Monday, September 18th is the RPC Mission Outreach Golf Tournament. We do this every year. It's going to be a Brookfield uh, Country Club. It's a blast. So much fun. Whether you're a scratch golfer, golfer or a mere mortal like me, we just have a blast. We raise a ton of money. All that money goes to our mission partners. That's on September 18th. We're looking for sponsors, golfers, uh, people who volunteer. So you can go to church website or there'll be a table upstairs outside the sanctuary um, during the kickoff party where we can talk about it and uh, you can get involved. I want to remind you immediately, for those who weren't here when we kick, uh, got the service started, immediately following this service, you go up to the sanctuary and we're going to have a congregational meeting at the conclusion of the 11 o'clock service. I'll know like where you prioritize like the congregational meeting if y'all go out to the food trucks. I'm going to be very disappointed, but not surprised. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> insult your audience. That's always a great way to start. Um, but it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a slide, a dunk tank. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Today we kick off our sermon series, Nutrition Facts, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to highlight here, it's a singular, the fruit of the Spirit. But he lays out nine features of this fruit, of this holiness that God calls us to, that will flow out of our lives as we realize our identity in Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about, give you an overview of what Christian love is. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about folks who don't think Christian love is a good thing. Then we're going to talk about Jesus' call to love and four features of Christian love. And then I'm going to conclude with the risks, the risks if we fail to love. All right? So let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord from Galatians 5, verses 19 through 23. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you might teach us about these fruit of the Spirit, especially love. Lord, how much you love us and you call us to love ourselves and love others. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a, a pivotal moment in your life that totally changed your perspective on something? A friend of mine wrote his doctoral dissertation on four mega church pastors. He studied the foremost kind of famous megachurch pastors in America. He interviewed them, went to their churches, interviewed their parishioners, really analyzed the ministry and what was going on. 
And at his dissertation defense, there were several senior scholars who asked him questions about his work. They asked about his methods, his strategies, what he included, what he left out, and why. It was all kept very scholarly and academic. But at the very end of the conversation, the mood changed. And Cornell West, who was a professor there at the time, asked this student, Jonathan Walton, said, I know, Jonathan, you've studied these men, and you've done a great job here, and you're going to get high marks. But I have a fundamental question for you about them. I know they make millions of dollars. I know they're always on television. I know they've written best-selling books, and thousands of people come to their church. But I want to know, do these guys love the people? I was taken aback by this question. I was like, that's not very academic or scholarly, talking about love. But then I began to think about it. Isn't that the most important question? Do you know how to love? It's our fundamental vocation, our central calling as followers of Christ to love. But we know how hard it is to love, don't we? For couples, it's tough to love. It's tough to brothers to love sisters, sisters to love brothers, friends to love each other. It's challenging to love. Many of us retreat into Hathaway's reduced definition of love. What is love? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I must tell you, there's a lot more to Christian love than just not hurting anyone. In English, putting our finger exactly on what love is is difficult, especially if we're reading our New Testament. One reason is that in English, we have one word for love. Love. But if you look in the first century in Greek and in our New Testament, there are four words for love. You have storge love. It's a familial kind of love, the love between brothers and sisters, parents, happens in the family. Then you have philia. Philia is a friendly kind of love. It's a love where two people come together and love something together. That's why we have Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We have eros, which is sexual or romantic love. But then we have this fourth word, agape, agape love. And this is Christian love. This is compassionate love. Now, many people don't really realize that the word agape was rarely used in the first century. We have very little evidence of its use, except for the Christian New Testament. It's used over 300 times. And it's almost like these Christians come together and they take this not often used word, agape, and they give it its own definition. Much of Jesus' teachings, much of the writings of the New Testament are wrestling with what is agape. Agape love is other-centered. It's not self-centered. Agape is often translated charity. C.S. Lewis called agape unconditional love. The self-giving love that Christ displayed and that he called his disciples to imitate in their lives was radical. It was novel. It was new in the world. In fact, probably the most influential living New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, said this about it. Agape was a different way to be human. 
Nobody had ever thought of living like that before. No one ever thought about living with love. Not selfish love, but love of others. The central model or image for this kind of agape love is Jesus on the cross. As Jesus once said, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. As he hangs on the cross after being brutally tortured, he prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 8, he interprets the event of the cross saying, but God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. Not when we were super nice, happy, moral, good people. No, when we were fallible, frail, sinful. Christ died for us. God's love found us there. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we don't see much agape. In fact, there are many influential intellectuals and scholars who say we shouldn't aspire to agape. We shouldn't try to be self-sacrificial. This isn't desirable for human life. Take the world for science. Charles Darwin in a passage from On the Origin of the Species, listen to this. It may be difficult, but we ought to admire the savage instinctive hatred of the queen bee, which urges her instantly to destroy the young queens, her daughters, as soon as born, or to perish herself in the combat. For undoubtedly, this is for the good of the community. Saying love, agape is not part of the process of natural selection. The world in natural selection, all we care about is reproduction. And self-sacrifice is the opposite of reproduction by definition. In philosophy, Friedrich Nietzsche believed agape love to be a great human weakness. Sigmund Freud in psychology believed it to be a, a human malady. In economics, Adam Smith wrote in The Wealth of Nations, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. He goes on, we address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love, and never talk to them of our own necessities, but of their disadvantages. The world seems to be against agape love. If it's not just altogether impossible to live out. And yet, for Christians, those who would seek to follow Jesus Christ, agape love is our central calling. It's our highest calling. Why? Well, in 1 John 4.8, it reads, God is love. God is love. And as we put the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ at the center of who we are, we can't help but love to flow out, even when you can't see it, even when it's not totally apparent. Paul says, if the Spirit is in your heart, eventually it's going to start coming out, it's going to start bubbling over. I remember growing up, I had big feet for my size. And people would often observe my large feet. And they would say things like, just wait until he grows into those babies. He's going to grow into who he is. It's in there somewhere. And one day it's going to come out. And that's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's in there somewhere. And you can't hold it down. As you get and experience God's love more and more in a more deeper way, love will come out of your life. 
It might be helpful here to think about an important theological distinction between the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. This is what theologians talk about. The incommunicable attributes of God are like God's omniscience. God knows everything. God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. Omnipotence, God is all-powerful. These attributes of God are what make God, God. And they're not shared with human beings. In fact, us not having them makes us human. They're incommunicable. But then you have these, what they call communicable attributes of God, like love, like joy, like peace. That is, the Spirit of God lives in your, in your heart. As you grow up, you can't help it, but for love, joy, peace, these fruit of the Spirit to come out of your life. And as we focus in on the love that God has shown us, we can't help but lo- let that love flow out of our hearts. God first loves us, then we love ourselves, and then that goes flowing into loving others. That great passage of 1 Corinthians 13 that we hear so often at weddings, this great hymn or, or poem to love, I think it has like four real key features about agape love. The first is agape love is active. I love this. In 1 Corinthians 13, it begins with, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Talk is not enough. You must walk the talk. Agape love is not afraid to get its hands dirty. It's an action. It's nitty gritty. It's lived out. Scott Peck wrote a book a few years ago about love called The Road Less Traveled. A New Psychology of Love, Traditional Values, and Spiritual Growth. And he summarized this point by writing, love is as love does. Love is as love does. Thomas Aquinas defined love as seeking the good of another. It's one reason RPC believes it's so important to have ministries that are about serving others. Yeah, we care about those internal to the church. We care about our community. But we have to get out and serve the people that need it. In order to give of our love, we must give of ourselves. This is the second feature of agape love. It's self-giving. Many of us are like the Presbyterian farmer who someone once commented about. Did you ever hear about the Presbyterian farmer who loved his wife so much that he almost told her? We need to give of ourselves. Paul warns, if I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's not love if we're serving, just to be seen, just to be noticed. Agape love is self-giving, self-sacrificial. There's a reason when someone came to Jesus and asked what the most important command was, he told a story. We know it's the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan's going along this road, and he finds a man who's injured, who's a sworn enemy. And even though some religious people had come through, they just passed him over. But this Samaritan goes, nurses his wounds, takes him to an inn, pays for him to be taken care of, says, I'll come back and pay for it. What other costs there are? When we love, we're willing to give of ourselves and be self-sacrificial. The third feature of agape love is that it is strategic. 
I love this because we don't, I don't think, usually think of love as strategic. But listen to this. In his opening chapter to, chapter to the church in Philippi, Paul speaks to the practical challenges of agape love. He writes, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. We need knowledge. We need insight. We need wisdom. Anybody who's had more than one child or kids in a classroom, wherever it might be, you know each kid needs something a little bit different than the others. And we need wisdom to know how to love in the right way to get the best out of someone to let them know, to communicate in the right way. Loving well isn't obvious or easy. So it needs to be thought of. We need strategy in doing it. In our mission outreach program, one of the our key principles is we believe in partnership over paternalism. We know in the history of the church there's been a lot of paternalistic thinking. If we have all the resources, we're somehow better than others who don't. But on a close read of scripture, you find that often our affluence gets in the way of us receiving the message God has for us and serving in helpful, in helpful ways. And so we need to be self-reflective. We need to be strategic about how we love. The fourth feature of agape is that it's communal. Right before listing the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh, Paul writes to the Galatians, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves or servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Agape love understands that we need to go from a, an orientation of me to we. We all have gifts to give and gifts to receive in the community. How can we give and receive these gifts with one another as a community to build up the beloved community? I remember in that doctoral defense, listening to this professor ask John, if these mega church pastors knew how to love. And I'll never forget how he responded. He responded with some haunting words. He says, of all the four preachers I studied, two of them hate the people, one of them hates himself, and the fourth I'm not really sure. I thought it's so hard, even those who should know the most about loving, learning how to love. But do you know who you're really hurting if you fail to love? Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If I don't love, I'm the one who loses. Why? Probably because if I'm not loving, it's an indication, an indicator that I have not come to terms with God's love for me. That I don't know it. It hasn't transformed my life. And once I do, I can't help for that agape love to flow into the world. And so if I'm not bearing love, it's because I haven't gotten in touch with God's love in my heart. If you're on a a team and you fail to love your teammates, you're only hurting yourself. 
If you're married and you fail to love your partner, you're only hurting yourself. You fail to love your friends, you're hurting yourself. If you fail to love your siblings, the guy at work, your parents, your boss, and yes, Jesus even says, your enemies. You're a banging gong and a clanging cymbal. Let us recognize that great theological truth. While we were in sin, God died for us. God loved us. And let's put that love at the center of who we are and of our vocation so that we can't but help love to flow out of our lives as we become the people God has created and God is calling us to be. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your love for us. We pray that we might feel it in the depths of our souls or that it might work its way into our lives through it, Lord, it might transform our lives. We might sense your love and shine it and reflect it in a world that desperately needs it. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.